Good morning. This is day 135, I believe, of these revival talks. Remember, we're going to go to about a thousand and something, so I have a few more to go. So I am going to actually be quick, and I know I always say that, and I'm not, but I'm going to actually try to be quick today. Um, <clears throat> so I had this thought coming in. You know, that's where Jesus speaks. The sanctuary of our car, the sanctuary of our bathroom, you know. I guess it's any place that we're still, you know, they can kind of break in. But I had that scripture about, you know, this is the part of when Jesus says, you know, when he says it a couple of different times, go and sin no more. And then I had that whole scripture in James going through my head about conception. So I thought, okay. And so I just want to say a little bit about that. It's interesting to read that verse. It's James 1, 15 and 16. I'm going to read it first in the New Phillips, J.B. Phillips New Testament. A man must not say when he is tempted, God is tempting me, for God has no dealings with evil, and does not himself tempt anyone. No, a man's temptation is due to the pull of his own inward desires, which can be enormously attractive. His own desire takes hold of him, and that produces sin. And sin, in the long run, means death. Make no mistakes about that, brothers of mine. Then I want to read it in the message version. Um, Don't let anyone under pressure give in to evil and say, God is trying to trip me up. God is impervious to evil and puts evil in no one's way. The temptation to give in to evil comes from us and only us. We have no one to blame but the leering, seducing flare-up of our own lust. Lust gets pregnant and has a baby. Sin. Sin grows up into adulthood and becomes a real killer. I like that version because it does talk about um, progression. Let's see if somebody uh, needs to come in my door. Okay. Um, hold on. So it talks about this progression. You know how sin is first conceived and then... Um, once it's conceived, it gets birth to something. So I want to talk briefly about that process of interrupting. Because I looked up that word seize, and it means to capture, of course. And, you know, um, and I want to use an example of, okay, so let me just go back and say this. All right. So Jesus said everything comes from the heart, Right. So we can't say that the desires that we have that lead us into the places of sin are from any other place than our own heart. So when you look at the unhealed places in our heart and you look at the trauma, um, the deprivation, kind of the abandonment, rejection that we, a generation, have experienced, there is a type of anxiety, I, I believe, that gets locked up in the soul through those things that is a very painful kind of anxiety, um, a perpetual kind of loneliness. I mean, I used to make this joke and I don't anymore because I have a different declaration. Well, I was a premature baby, seven months. I was born seven months something and I was in an incubator for six weeks. And um, let's see. So I was in an incubator, yeah, for six weeks after that. Back then, you know, the incubators were things that you just, um, you didn't have a lot of contact like today. And so my joke 
about the loneliness or this kind of cavern inside of me would be, oh, I think I bonded with the darkness. <laughs> well, I stopped saying that because I learned about our, my mouth along the way. And then I had an encounter with the Lord Jesus where he literally picked up the baby that was in the incubator and put him over his shoulder. And that was me experiencing Jesus being there and me not being alone. But I, I give that example because that is what is on the inside. There are, there are types of anxiety that I think are really painful and there are triggers. So usually, you know, like pretty much all addictive behavior is gonna come out of a trigger, okay? Most people don't always know what is triggering them. They can't label that anxiety that's kind of like in the hard drive. It runs as a program in the back of their heart. So let's think of it this way. You've got a virus or a program that runs in the hard drive of your heart. Things happen in the course of your day. Many rejections, disappointments, etc. It pings that part of the hard drive and kind of, it's already got something under the surface. So anything that comes at it, it, it brings what's under the surface straight up to the top. So now, whether I can label or not the kind of anxiety, depression, or what hopelessness, whatever it is that I'm feeling, it's there. And my temptation is to, I mean, nowadays when we talk about, I gave my students a question about what does idolatry look like today? And I explained what Old Testament idolatry was. You know, and they did pretty good in terms of recognizing, and I had to explain that idolatry is something I give my life to. It's something I'm obsessed with. It's the thing that takes the place of God. It's the thing that fills the void. Sometimes that's a challenging question for them to think about because, you know, there's so many things to fill. I mean, we can't sit down at a table and not have everybody on their phone, you know, scrolling Instagram feed or doing whatever. One student brought up about how, you know, the our technology has kind of messed with our communication, our ability to have face-to-face -face interaction. The interesting thing about most unmet needs that, eat, that become highly sexualized later in life and go into other forms of addiction, you know, substance abuse, etc., is that most of those, the longings that are at the core of those are actually legit. A longing for intimacy, longing for connection, a longing to not be alone, those core longings are legit. It's how those things come through the grid of that hard drive that's got all the damage in it that it becomes illegit. So in other words, as it comes through that hard drive, then a legitimate longing is met in an illegitimate way. And the reason the sexual sins are so powerful is because they are a presence. You know, we are presence-oriented creatures. We're made in his image. So literally, we are engaging with the presence of another. But because it's not the presence of the one that made us, we're always left with the guilt, shame, and the feeling lacking, right? So the reason that the pattern goes unnoticed, one reason, there's a million in here because there's so much to talk about on this topic, but is that we have a brain that is plastic. Okay, that's what I did my dissertation on. So it's like the brain thing. And essentially the simple thing about that is this. Your brain is meant to help you adapt. Okay, so there are normal things that create pleasure that your brain adapts to. You know, if you enjoy hunting, your brain is adapting to that. When you eat food, your brain, you're getting a little spritz of dopamine from that, right? So our brains are made 
to enable us to continue to adapt to our environment, right? So that reward center of my brain is made actually to help me survive. What happens when we have those deep core things in the hard drive of our heart, you know, the unmet needs that come through the grid and that hard drive of um, toxic ways of thinking, you know, et cetera, et cetera, is that we, those things are kind of beckoning in the background and what happens when we engage with it, because that's what I like about this thing where it says, um, when sin is conceived, for most of us, and I'll use chocolate cake as the, as the example, because it's like a good one, you know what I mean? Like chocolate, I thought was a food group. Um, I found out later that it wasn't. So most of the time, because we have what we have going on in the hard drive, we already have something, good morning, Sharon, in the bedrock that's ready to agree that is ready to agree with the temptation, is ready to agree, because that's the place where we have the shame, all of those things, right? The products of the things that happened are in the hard drive of that heart. And so it's like you've got this, the foundation is screaming to be filled, okay? It's screaming because of what didn't get filled. The gaping hole in the soul, if you will, is, is part of the product of what happens when we don't have needs met early in life. The resultant anxiety, which can be very painful, kind of leads a lot of us into this restless activism. You know, I talked about for years, I would struggle so much if I were alone. And I could also feel intensely lonely in a group of people because that gap that was in that incubator with that baby that wasn't filled that, you know, for all that time until I really encountered Jesus coming into that place was, excuse me, screaming to be fulfilled. And legitimate needs and desires become highly sexualized later in life. And because we're presence oriented, like I said, we go for presence, right? But it was illegitimate. So conception. When you have that in the hard drive and things come at you, you already are thinking about it. You know, I think the Lord has been showing me lately that what you sow into is what you're going to reap. If you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap from the flesh. If you sow to the spirit, you're going to reap from the spirit. I make a joke about praying in tongues as much as possible throughout the day as a way to survive. It really is because I'm activating something supernatural and I'm, act, I'm accessing heaven because I'm literally, in praying in tongues, I'm changing the atmosphere of my heart and around me. So when we're bombarded with things constantly, you know, when I'm engaging in the spirit and praying in tongues, I'm literally creating a, lack of a better word, a shield around me that makes some things not as penetrable and also wakens my own spirit and keeps it awake so that I'm more alert to what's going on around me. So literally, it's almost like maintaining my own personal atmosphere through prayer in tongues. Okay, so if I were looking at the chocolate cake example, it, this is an, a simple example of conception. Things go wrong with your morning. I'm already thinking about that chocolate cake more things go wrong. I get rejected at work. I don't get the job thing. Something happens and I'm already thinking and I'm already planning in my brain that when I get home or on my way home from Starbucks at Starbucks, I'm getting that chocolate cake. Like I'm full blown there. 
And the reason that we go there that quickly is because our brain's plasticity is basically locked in a groove. Think of it like this. There's a grooves that get run through our brain, right? Where the dopamine and the reward center, we've got patterns that develop. And different stimuluses, when they connect to something down in that hard drive that I'm talking about, immediately the brain starts to respond to something that has been familiar and locked in forever. That's how we become a prisoner to sin, is when we are locked into a pattern. And the pattern is I experience something that comes from that toxic hard drive in, the, in terms of anxiety, guilt, shame, disappointment, whatever it is, something that triggers something familiar. And most of the time it's unconscious, okay? I'm already there going for the thing because my brain was trained that when you experience this, you get this. My brain, the, the reason that um, things like pornography are so powerful is number one, we were never meant to process what's on, um, on an image on a screen, ever. It's like the, the dopamine in my reward system isn't made for that kind of stimulation. It's, it's like an overload, right? So if you do anything that overloads the reward system, there is a reaction in that reward system to try to get more of it, right? So when it's overloaded, it's almost like a reset happens. That's why people can start off with one aspect of sin and migrate all the way into something else. Because every time they cross a line or every time they in, an, in a groove, what happens is the brain says the same old thing wasn't working. Chocolate cake isn't working anymore. Now I should make me some brownies and some chocolate cake and some Toll House cookies, right? My point in that is, is that my brain resets itself at every stage. And because it's already got a groove that's been, you know, literally formed in it, where it's connected to this anxiety or this angst that automatically puts me in a place where I want to go for the thing that I'm and conceive it. I'm already thinking. My brain has trained me through repeated patterns of dealing with my unmet desires and needs in illegitimate ways, and those cravings come up. That's why it uses the word lust. It resets. So what was once satisfying no longer satisfies. The brain says, um, that isn't doing it. That's not cutting it. So what do I have to do? It puts us in the mode to have to up the ante on what we just did, right? Now I have to go for something a little bit different or a little bit better or a little bit something broader because my brain is saying I'm not getting the same reward. Everything we do in line with addiction is affecting, whether it's substance or behavioral, is affecting the reward system of the brain. The big breakthrough in the literature in many ways was when they began, we always had a, a big uh, grip on what substance abuse did, right? We knew that substance abuse was something, the reason I needed more crack and I needed to go, why we have gateway drugs, right? We say, oh, pot's not a gateway, blah, blah, blah. Well, when your brain got tired of pot, it said, you know what? I think I'll try something different because I'm not getting the same reward out of that which I had. I need something that's greater. So we migrated right and so the big breakthrough in the literature was when they equated essentially behavioral addictions do the same thing 
as substance addictions do with our brain. We have a craving, we want that reward, we go after the reward, we go after it, and the reward doesn't work anymore, and we have to change our set point. Our brain moves, it creates new grooves, right? There is still, if I had to liken it to an example, and I'm still struggling with language because I'm still kind of talking about this out loud for the, not the first time, but if I had to think about the hard drive having deep, deep grooves and branches and tentacles that actually go into other parts of my heart, the, the, the deep grooves where the needs are, that angst, that unfulfilled, that crazy anxiety, etc., that's there, they're there. My brain is still free to reset in every place to up the ante on my addiction so that it is getting satisfied, if that makes sense. So new tributaries are now being formed out of that river that's in that hard drive of my heart. The, and that, that's what becomes the problem. So when James says that sin must be first conceived, I love it when he says it here. Um, he says, we have no one to blame but the leering, seducing flare-up of our own lust. Let's get, lust gets pregnant and has a baby, sin. Sin grows up into adulthood and becomes a real killer. That's when sin becomes a lifelong pattern. That's when it becomes a bondage and a prison that we can't get out of. It's because I have fed this thing for so long and never dealt with the underlying stuff in the heart that gave birth to it. And so we continue and my brain just resets along the way. It ups the ante on the addiction. Now we're a prisoner to it. That's how we become held captive. The, the good news is, number one, I think Jesus in the context of this revival, um, where we have amplified grace beyond measure, is going to set people free instantaneously. and He's going to rewire their brain just like that. We have to understand the brain is the thing that's behind the addiction, and it's that whole reward center piece. And so literally, and praying for healing now for people, I've actually started to pray for their brain and say, rewire, reconnect. The, the old grooves, the old tentacles that were all created as pathways in the brain that were linked to some place that was unhealed, that gave rise to this this impulse that comes out of the anxiety, which gives, it puts feet to it by engaging in a behavior or a substance to break that pattern and rewire. And I believe, and plus, I will, I'll talk about mental illness another day, it's a big topic. I believe that that's part of what God's going to do just like that in an instant with a lot of people. And so, and the way that the, the brain gets reset is it has to be interrupted. The part that, you know, I've, I've talked to so many students, I talked to one yesterday, and it was like, I even said this to my son several times, he would say to me, I'm not so-and-so, I can never be sexually pure, blah, blah, blah. And, um, and I said, <laughs> just because you can't picture it, doesn't mean it's not possible. Just because you can't picture what freedom looks like doesn't mean that it's not a reality. Freedom is a reality. If Jesus could say to someone, go and sin no more, he was presenting us with a reality. A reality. And so, <laughs> 
So essentially, I have to interrupt the pattern. And that's why taking every thought captive in my brain, I have to play hard ball with what goes through my head. And I have to make sure that what comes out of my mouth is engaging heaven and not hell. I can't reinforce the pattern. Oh, I'm so addicted. I'm so this. Well, yeah, then you just are. Then you just become more. I cannot let my mouth produce death that agrees with the death in my heart when I'm trying to change the hard drive of my heart. If I speak death, it's going to agree with something that's already in there. It's going to connect to the trauma and connect to all the ways that my brains have wired themselves out of that trauma to seek illegitimate connection for a legitimate need. That makes sense. So I have to speak something different. And sometimes I have to speak something different that my heart doesn't yet fully own. But there, I, I tell you the truth. You speak truth and you will manifest truth. You speak, you manifest what you believe. If my heart gives birth to toxic thought, then I need to do something that is aggressive to replace that. And your brain will rewire. Here's the, I'm going to leave all of this today because I could get on this topic for hours. When Paul talks about be renewed in your mind, don't conform to the world. Dr. Caroline Leaf, Christian brain lady, credible research. Your thoughts create RNA strands. Literally, by because of how we were designed by God, my thoughts can change my DNA. And I will manifest something different. The implications are huge. That takes generational sin and kicks it in the butt and out the window and down the road. Because I am not bound or predisposed to anything at all. I am absolutely disposed and predisposed for heaven by design. I was made for him by him as a presence-oriented creature. And in his presence, we become all things. The key is the presence, the presence, the presence. If we don't engage in the presence, we'll never expect freedom. That's why the words that have been out there, that's why you have a generation of religious kids who have heard the rule book a hundred different ways, and they still are in bondage and living in all kind of chains because they have not married truth with an encounter with Jesus. We have had proclamation with zero demonstration in many places. It's the demonstration and the manifestation of God's glory and the kingdom, and particularly in the context of revival when grace is magnified, that we are going to see people's brains instantaneously healed. Depression will be gone. Anxiety will be gone. Lifelong struggles with addiction will be gone just like that. And if we're waiting on that, or as we're pursuing him, knowing that that's true, and I'm declaring already the place of freedom in my heart, I am not going to speak death to myself because you will manifest what you believe. As I'm declaring and as I'm waiting on the full manifestation or integrating the manifestation, because it's already in me, the kingdom of heaven is inside of me. Everything you ever need is already in you. I'm not looking out here for anything. I'm looking into the place where Jesus and I are fused as one and the kingdom is already there. 
I'm doing an archaeological excavation of my own heart. He's already in there. Until the place that I experience the freedom, I will declare the truth and I will interrupt the cycle. The minute that I start thinking about that chocolate cake, because my anxiety has been tripped, my PTSD has been tripped, anything that's in the hard drive, the deep groove area of my heart is being tripped. I will tell it to get out. I will say what's true and I will kick out the lie. I will declare what's true because when you declare what's true enough, your heart will come into alignment and agreement with it. And sometimes I'm declaring something that's true and there is no way that truth of God's word cannot have no effect. It will not come back void. If I sow to the flesh, when I conceive the thought to engage with my chocolate cookie, whatever it is, because of what's been tripped in my heart, I kick it out early. Because what happens is when it's fully conceived, I'm already committed. Does that make sense? I can be committed to my big, big brownie and my super big chocolate something right after I get off work because I've already committed to it because it conceived, it took hold, it got connection, it connected to all the old tributaries of my heart and all the grooves that were familiar grooves in my brain. The minute you interrupt it, you tell the brain to do something different. The good news, even about our brain, as we are waiting and seeking and, and, and seeing the manifestation of what we know is true, is that the brain rewires itself and it can rewire itself to righteousness see you guys let me know what you think share it this is a big discussion i have to have more on this topic all right